Welcome to The Buzz with ACT-IAC, your source for the hot topics and top issues affecting the federal technology market. Join us each week to hear insights from government and industry experts, stay informed on the challenges facing the public sector, and gain access to valuable reports and thought leadership. Enjoy. Hi listeners, this is Colin Larson. Our cluttered information landscape makes any sort of productive communication difficult, let alone typically dry messaging from government agencies. There are just so many platforms and media tugging at our attention constantly that trying to reach citizens is an enormous challenge. Making the government's work interesting to the American public has often been a topic of conversation in the ACTIAC community, whether for recruiting efforts, for regaining public trust, for combating misinformation, but it's an uphill battle. Government work isn't traditionally cool or countercultural or viral, so how do you sell it in the social media-driven attention economy? Well, my guest this week has some ideas. Joseph Galbo is the social media specialist at the Consumer Product Safety Commission, a small agency that has managed to carve out a unique online voice. With creativity, some risk-taking, and an understanding of the social media landscape, the CPSC has done some really fascinating communications work in service of its mission. Now, I'm intentionally being a bit vague because I don't want to spoil anything for those who aren't yet familiar with the agency's work. Suffice to say, you probably haven't seen or heard anything quite like it. Joe Galbo, thank you so much for joining me on The Buzz with act IAC. Thank you for having me, Colin. Very excited to be here today. Uh, so to start, for those who are unfamiliar, what does the Consumer Product Safety Commission, the CPSC, do? Sure. So CPSC is a very small federal agency, uh, about 500 people, budget of about 135 to $150 million. And we are basically like the EPA or the FDA, but instead of the environment or food and drugs, we regulate consumer products. So that's everything from ATVs to toaster ovens, to children's clothing, to baby products, to toys. You know, basically if it's in your home or you could buy it in a store, it's a product under our jurisdiction. And we're the people who make sure those products are safe uh, for people to buy and use. So I'll note that if you, if for listeners, if you are familiar with CPSC's social media presence, this wouldn't come as a surprise to you. Uh, most of these consumer products are front and center. You've managed to craft a very uh, unique voice on social media. Uh, it's very meme forward, but it's not. I'll say when when institutions, when corporations tend to make memes, they can come off as insincere or, you know corny or cringe <laughs> to use that parlance. Um, how do you do how do you do fellow kids? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, the Steve Buscemi meme. Um, I'm not going to call myself an expert on meme culture, but I would say as a relatively young person, what you've done is pretty unique. Oh, and uh, it's it's authentic. So I I wanted to I'm curious about how did you develop this voice, this style? Uh, what was your inspiration for this this strategy? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my background is in advertising. Um, before I was at CPSC, I was at a great science museum called the Liberty Science Center in Jersey City, New Jersey, which is just across the Hudson from Manhattan. I did social media there. Uh, but before that, I was I worked at McCann 
as a copywriter. Um, and while I was at McCann, you know, I, I got to work with some great art directors and I, and I kind of learned, you know, all the, the tricks and, and tools of the advertising trade. And so when I came to CPSC and I, you know, knew that there was a big public health campaign component to the work, um, which is really why I came here to work, came to work here in the first place. Um, I wanted to bring all that with me, you know. And so in the beginning, it, it really wasn't even about, you know, creating safety memes, which are now a thing. Um, it was really just about creating great graphics, you know, graphics that looked a lot more like advertising than they did memes, you know, frankly. Um, you know, I think in the, in the early days, it was really just about picking up a few meme aesthetics that worked well online, you know, like large fonts that just happen to look great on a phone or high contrast colors, you know, uh, fun, fun pictures of animals, fun, fun visuals, you know, like these are all the things that these days we look at and we're like, yeah, that's if you were to deconstruct a meme, that's that's all it is, you know. Um, and back when we first started doing this in 2016, you know, that really wasn't happening in public health messaging. You know, I could probably point to like one or two campaigns that had like flirted with some meme imagery, but it wasn't certainly anything you saw coming from the government. So, you know, that was kind of my one of my big goals in the beginning was, well, how can we take this, you know, very dry material and make it something visually appealing to people so that they'll actually stop scrolling for a second to read it. Uh, and then also, you know, fun and entertaining in a way that they actually want to read it. And that's, you know, kind of where I feel like we've ended up. And I just feel lucky that, you know, we've kind of made it work because uh, it, it's been a challenge. Yeah, it's it's certainly not easy. You know, I, I mean, making a good meme is hard anyway. Um, you know, doing it with like, you know, fire safety is, is pretty tough. So, yeah, glad it's working out. <laughs> yeah. Um... Are there any limitations on, you know, what you can create and, and the tools you have available to you as a result of, you know, the fact that it's a government agency? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, our size, I mean, our budget resources, frankly, are are the biggest limitation, not, not just for my work on digital, but, you know, all of our public health campaign work. I mean, you know, we're working with the cheapest stock photography you can find, um, you know, again, which which like has has we've turned it that into an asset because some of our graphics are like so bad, they're good. And it's it's because we're working with visuals, you know, that are like <laughs> that are just what anyone could afford, frankly. Um, you know, so, yeah, there's that. And then also, you know, my limitations as a graphic designer, you know, my entire background is is writing really uh and then video production you know i i wanted to be a video journalist for a little bit so i taught myself some decent video production skills um but i had no graphic design skills before i got here you know outside of like stuff i had messed around with in school um what happened was we we had a video editor who was doubling as our graphic designer and i felt bad bothering him all the time to make graphics so i said forget it i'm just going to download photoshop I'm going to, I'm going to teach myself how to do it. And that's really, you know, my skill level is only still at that level, self-taught, you know, um, whatever I could pick up watching a YouTube video, but yeah, it's, you know, so I guess those are the limitations. And I think one thing that, that we're running into is, you know, there's such an expectation uh, for your messages to be, you know, diverse and representative of every community in America. Like, you know, we've really run into some barriers there and I'm grateful that in the past couple of years, We've got some funding to do some cool projects. Like we did a photo shoot um, of a whole bunch of, you know, Americans who had various disabilities. And it literally was just a photo shoot to create stock photos for ourselves. Because as I was out there, you know, trying to find images of, 
you know, people in wheelchairs using fire extinguishers or people with prosthetic limbs changing their smoke alarm batteries. There, there just wasn't anything, you know, um, on our cheap stock photo site and actually on the more expensive ones either. So, yeah, it's it's been kind of interesting, you know, doing this job because it, it's really given me a, a, a very, you know, I guess you would say like different look at, at stock photo stock photos you know like and and the you know the sixth time you use a fun looking dog you you do kind of wish you could use something else um and you know yeah it's it's definitely just been an interesting exercise in like limitations and how you could take those limitations and turn them into something yeah absolutely when you began employing the strategy and making these graphics in, in the way that you did what was the response within the agency yeah, you know, it was, it, it's funny in the beginning, uh, and it, and honestly, in a lot of ways, it's still like this. I think people didn't know what to make of it. Um, you know, I, I think in the beginning, people saw that the public liked it and they thought, okay, well, if the public likes it, like, you know, well, let's keep doing it. And, and honestly, and in a lot of ways, I think there are still a lot of people at the agency who feel that way. <laughs> You know, they don't necessarily understand everything that that's coming out, um, but but they see that people like it and they see it's getting shared and they say, OK, well, let's let's keep doing it. You know, and that's fine with me. You know, I I mean, I think one thing I've learned about, you know, working in the federal government is that, you know, every everyone's kind of got their roles, you know, and like someone who's a phenomenal lawyer, like someone who you want walking into a courtroom to to represent the American people in regards to some you know, product safety issue that's the or case that's being taken up. Like that person doesn't need to understand what I'm doing. Okay. They they just need to be great at being in that courtroom. In, in the same way that, you know, I, I have a deeper appreciation now for the law and for science and for all these things that, you know, I, I was only kind of familiar with that now I live and breathe more or less. Um, but you know, I, I I don't feel like I have to understand, you know, every nuance of presenting a legal case. Um, I just have to respect that the person going in that room is great and they're doing a great job. Um, and, that, and that's really all I want from my peers at, at CPSC is, you know, hey, he knows what he's doing. He's doing a good job. Like, let's keep him out there <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. Well, it does seem like uh, you've you've had uh, a lot of success being creative and a lot of freedom to, to do so. So I, I commend your colleagues, of course. Um, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the tone, uh, I'll say, of. of the memes and the work that you do in general. Um, so one of one of my favorite sort of recurring characters is the giant baby. There's a, for listeners. There's kind of a whole meme cinematic universe to all of these with recurring characters. Um, but a lot of these issues that are depicted in the memes, they're quite serious. In fact, um, yeah. yeah, particularly absolutely. when when it relates to um, endangering infants with uh, cords and that kind of thing. How do you strike the balance? between something, topics that are very serious uh, and memes that are surreal and and funny and, and, you know, charming. Yeah. You know, it's, so it's something we talk about every day. You know, it's something I think about every day. Um, you know, you, you want to toe that line between being interesting and being, uh, again, something people actually want to look at versus not crossing over into offensive. Right. And I think one thing that's, Neat. One thing that you see a lot of other brands do these days is just be offensive on social media as part of like their entertainment strategy, you know, because that that's all we're all trying to do out there is, you know, provide some layer of entertainment that people feel like they want to engage with and engage with and have fun with. 
Um, you know, and a lot of brands, especially on, you know, uh, X, formerly Twitter, you know, that they would turn to like, you know, uh, just retweeting, quote tweeting people and making fun of them basically like that. And there were some brands, that's all they do. And there are still some brands who are just doing that, you know, and I, I don't necessarily want to knock that strategy. I mean, I've seen it be successful. I think for us, that kind of was a, a line that I'd never wanted to take. You know, we, we never, I always say this, we, we never want to showcase the American people in like a negative way, you know, with our messages and especially with our subject matter, it'd be very easy to do so. Like, it'd be very easy to create a character who's always doing things wrong. Right. Or it'd be very easy to constantly show people like falling downstairs or off of ladders or, you know, I mean, again, you could turn us into true comedy, you know, in like a dozen different ways. I, to me, I always thought that was kind of, um, you know, that would have been like talking down to people in a way. You know, that to me was never the the right approach. I, I feel like what's nice about surrealism, you know, to get to your point, is that you can, there's way more opportunity to do an interesting narrative or some interesting character work or some interesting storytelling without necessarily degrading anybody in the process. Um, and I think that's kind of where I like to keep us, you know, with our more interesting stuff. Um, and, and we do flirt with other genres. You know, I, I try to make earnest graphics sometimes. Like I try to just make some truly great, emotional stuff sometimes the problem is it's very difficult to make that stuff to begin with and then when you factor in having to use terrible stock photography like you know like the 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 you know i would love to do more stuff like you see nike put out you know i would love to do more stuff that's like more serious and emotional in tone but it requires such a better like creative product you know um that it's it's just more difficult to create and it takes me more time and on a small team i just don't have the time to do it so yeah, I, th I think that's kind of, you know, where I've I've thought like, well, okay, we'll stick with surrealism because we can toe the line. And then, you know, again, it's the, just to, not to monologue here, but the, you know, the things I try to think about as I'm, as I'm doing it, um, you know, we have a couple like pillars, right? So we, we always want to showcase people. We want to give people power fantasies, basically. So I, I always want our viewers to feel empowered by what they're looking at. Um, you know, even if we're portraying a negative scenario, like even if it's a scenario where there is something on fire or it is a little bit scarier than what we usually do, like as you're looking at it, I want you to come away empowered to help protect yourself from whatever you're seeing. So, you know, with that as the North Star, you know, it, our North Star, it, it does kind of help frame everything else. You know, um, the writing, the narratives, the, you know, the headlines, the body copy. I mean, you know, once you've kind of determined, hey, this is going to be something that's going to up uplift people and entertain them, like you can construct something like positive out of that. That's not to say we haven't gotten pushback on our stuff in the past. You know, I've had many conversations with parents who've lost children who, you know, don't necessarily agree with our strategy. I've had many conversations with public health people who look at it and say, you know, this is you know, you guys are not following some of the traditional best practices, um, you know, and and to those folks, what I've said is like, listen, I, you know, we're, we're in a very small box. We have to do what we believe is going to be successful within the confines of our box. And what the data shows me is that the way we've been doing it is working, you know, so yes, it does not, you know, we do not follow every public health best practice to the letter. We, we don't. Um, what I see on the other side of that is people are learning, you know, despite the fact that we're not following every public health, you know, uh, guideline to the letter, um, you know, for the families who've, who've lost children, who, who many of whom are our, you know, biggest advocates and also the folks who are working to hold us accountable and, and helping us in a, in a million different ways, including on social media. You know, I, what I try to say to them is, you know, the, you have to think of this from the perspective of somebody who's never thought about this issue before. You know, um, what is it going to take to get them engaged on a subject? 
you know, it, it can't always be something so serious because people are not always ready to engage with something so serious, especially on social media, where many people come for entertainment. You know, they come to be, you know, for a little distraction from the hard things that are going on in their life already. So it is, it's a difficult balance, you know, and I, I think we've done okay over the years. Um, I think personally for myself, I would love for us to have done more serious messaging or do more serious messaging moving forward, more serious visuals. But again, it that's budget, you know, uh, that's budget relative, right? Like if we get the money to do it, we can do it. Um, and yeah, I'd be excited too. And and certainly within the past few years, we have examples of public health messaging efforts that have not been as successful as we would have hoped that were traditional public health communication strategies. Yeah, it's tough. You know, I, I think you you what happens is you get in a room and you do a focus group and the focus group will say one thing and then the research you know lab research says one thing and then the reality of what does well online i think is something different and that's what i've seen for us like we've done research where focus groups have looked at our memes and said well we don't understand this at all you know but then i go look online and we have hundreds of millions of views and engagements thanks to the the memes so you know it's I think sometimes what I see is the the stuff that happens in a lab. Um, when you try to implement that in the real world, what you end up with is very safe messaging that is very clear. But when it's next to a picture of Taylor Swift, do, gets lost completely. You know, and and I think that's the part that I always try to tell people. I'm like, you have to understand. I'm trying to talk about bike safety next to you know, like the biggest pop culture story of the day. Okay. So, you know, so if I go out there and it's just a picture, a happy picture of a child riding a bike, wearing a helmet, uh, we're not going to succeed. We're just not going to succeed. Like, you know, the kid has to be uh, like riding next to a dragon or, you know, uh, riding on a rainbow road, or, you know, there, there has to be something else. We, we just have to bring more to it. Um, Cause if you try to play it straight, you're, you're just not going to be successful these days, especially organically. Like, you know, and, it, and you could say, if you have a, you know, again, if you have a $300 million advertising budget, like whatever you put on in front of people is going to reach them in some way, shape or form. Um, that's just not our reality at CPSC, you know? So when we're out there trying to promote organically, we have to do something unconventional. We just have to. Now let's talk about CPSC's album, uh, which is a sentence that I, is just hilarious in itself. Yeah. Uh, the title is We're Safety Now, Haven't We? Yes. Where did this come from? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, uh, you know, again, CPSC has been around for 50 years. Um, you know, a few years ago, as part of our 20th anniversary, we did a really fun project where we went back and we looked at, uh, we, we digitized a bunch of old PSAs from the earliest days of the agency. And if you go to our YouTube channel, uh, we have a playlist called the CPSC PSA Archive, where every month we publish new ones that we've digitized. And a lot of this stuff is stuff that hasn't been seen in 50 years. You know, um, so it's super interesting, super fascinating stuff. But I was the lead on that project. And, you know, as I was doing it and as I got a sense of what this place had tried over the years, I realized that we had never really done anything musical you know, nothing truly musical. We we had done a jingle or two, you know, a few years ago, maybe a decade ago now. Uh, we put out the Pool Safely song, which was a song for like little kids, you know, and it, it the song is about the four simple steps it takes to stay safe at the pool. But but that was kind of it. You know, there wasn't any larger like music initiatives. Um, so the I think in 2022, the commission approved a project to basically do a youth outreach uh, for the agency, which again is something we do not do very often. Um, so we were super excited about it. And then, you know, we were kind of looking at the landscape and saying, okay, well, what haven't we tried before? Um, and what's super popular now? And obviously these days trending audio is like, 
the dream scenario, right? Like, it, like you have songs from, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you know, charting again because of thanks to trending audio, basically. Um, so I thought, you know, everything we do around here has to be like a 10 year solution. Everything we do around here has to, you know, uh, have longevity in mind because the money is so tight. Um, so we thought, okay, this is the time to invest in a music project. And, you know, instead of doing one jingle, um, let's try to do six <laughs> instead of, and instead of like, you know, just sticking with one genre, let's try to make as many genres as we can. So, you know, it was one of these projects where once we started talking about it, uh, we got more excited about it and then it became more ambitious. And, you know, again, it's, we're still all surprised that we pulled it off as well as we did. Because it's very hard to make a good song. It's it's so, so hard. So to make multiple good songs, like we, we all feel super, super lucky. And the public response has been great so far too, which is which is the whole point. Yeah, I'll say, I'll, again, I'm not a music critic. I quite like the album. Thank which you. Is a, which is an <laughs> odd thing you. for me to say. And when a friend sent it to me, he actually said, the beats are great. I want to give our audience a little bit of sample of, of a sample here. This is my favorite song off the album, Protect Your Noggin. Great reference, of course, to Wu-Tang, Protect Your Neck. Yo, yeah. First things first, let me tell you what the issue is. When you in the streets, gotta stay vigilant. Check the stats, there's been way too many in your head. From right and right without nothing, no protecting them. But we could do better. I'ma put my helmet on and go zoom. Sitting flat upon my head real evenly. Low on my forehead, y'all ain't seeing me. When I fly by. There are, there are two songs, I believe, about, about wearing helmets, uh, both on bikes and ATVs. And a lot of your memes have to do with wearing helmets. So I'm just, I'm curious, is this a, this is a major issue for CPSC that, that you all tackle? Yeah, I mean, for, for the ATV riding especially, you know, um, what we see when we look at the data is people who are riding ATVs on the road, you know, either tend to roll the ATV or, or come in contact with a, another vehicle, a larger vehicle, whether it's a truck or a car or whatever. Um, and the survival rate in that case is not good. It, it's not good. You know, these, these vehicles are largely designed to ride on trails. You know, I mean, sometimes at a rate of speed that we would consider unsafe. So, you know, so I, I, I think, but they are largely designed to ride on trails. When you put them on a paved road, you know, they roll or they, again, crash into larger vehicles and the, and the ATVs don't have the safety features of those larger vehicles. So you're just putting your body in a position to be at the wrong end of a physics experiment. Um, and then in that situation, I mean, the helmet is your last resort, you know, to prevent skull fracturing. And I think, you know, one thing we see when we look at the current landscape, so you have ATVs, you know, more of them are being enabled to ride on paved roads by, you know, local governments passing laws that let people drive them to the gas station or the grocery store or whatever. And then for bikes, you know, I mean, e-bikes, especially like the market is booming. I mean, e-bike sales are just, you know, through the roof and, and only projected to grow more. So, you know, again, similar to, to ATVs, I mean, the helmet is the only thing between your skull and the pavement, you know, um, and and there's a lot more that goes into bike safety. You know, there's there's safe pl street planning, and there's there's all these conversations that are important and and vital, but are not conversations that CPSE can you know engage with. So for our piece, you know, which is the helmet piece, like we just need to make sure people are aware. Listen, if you're taking one of these things out, you have to wear a helmet. You have to. Um, again, the the alternative is like you know death, paraplegia. You know, it, it goes on and on. So yeah. I am a bike advocate in my free time, and I'm ah, okay. I'm actually personally, I'm actually not a fan of helmets. But when I listen to Protection Noggin, I think, man, I really need to wear a helmet. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, the bike community comes at us a lot for the helmet messaging. And, you know, again, I, I understand it. I think for a long time, from what I've seen anyway, you know, for a long time, uh, the when someone got into a cycling accident, the first question was, well, were they wearing a helmet? And like, depending on the situation, that should not have been the first question ever. You know, um, you know, again, there's so much more that goes into it, road safety. And and like, you know, there's there's a whole science behind all of that. Um, I think from what we see, but again, it's like, you know, hey, just encouraging people to have that last line of defense. Because now, especially on an e-bike, you're traveling faster than ever before. You know, um, you know, again, depending on where you're riding, if you're in a city, I mean, there's all those sorts of complications that come with riding in a city. You know, again, you versus, you know, the, the pole or you versus the street, it does not go well. It never goes well. So, yeah, again, especially for kids, put them in a helmet. It's just the, the better way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I think to your point, certainly understand the logical argument. It's very clear. The song is is a better connector to my emotional center. No, no. And and yeah, no. And that's and that's what we want. You know, and again, it's it, our entire really the album was a uh, to me a really nice like mix of our social strategy just implemented in a different medium. And that was like, again, we we feel so fortunate that the the artists we worked with, you know, a lot of them wrote these lyrics themselves. You know, um, we we kind of provided like our driest safety material, you know, like just straight up brochures and, and a few memes just to give them like the sense of, you know, our social media tone. Um, but they did the lyrics themselves, you know, uh, and they especially protecting Noggin, that artist just smashed it. They just did a phenomenal job. Um, it was the first song we heard. It was the first one we got back from any of the artists. And as soon as we all heard it, we were like, oh, wow, this could actually work like this. This could really be something cool and special. Um, that people like. So yeah, it was, it was such a great tune. Yeah. And a great track. Like the track itself is, is incredible too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You referred to these as, as jingles earlier, which I think is a disservice to the album because they're full-fledged songs. Uh, they even have a production tag um, thanks to the folks at CPSC. And yeah, there's, there's like a real quality to this album. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I always, sometimes people call our stuff art and I always, I always try to be cognizant of the fact that at the end of the day, this is government messaging, you know, like I, mm -hmm. I'm very hesitant to call it art myself, mostly because I don't think of myself as an artist. You know, uh, I, I'm an advertiser, I'm a propaganda maybe at best, but like, you know, I, I do not consider myself an artist. So, so when other people call it art, it's very flattering. And, and like, it's, it's so nice to say that about the songs, because I do think the artist turned in incredible music. Like, I, I think this is actual music. On the other end of this, you know, it's government PSA messaging. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I'm, I agree. Like, you know, I think it's, it's awesome to get to hear something like this in something so appealing and so modern, you know, and, and that's exactly what we were hoping for. You know, I mean, the phone away song, like something like that to, you know, again, like getting to hear such a great tune about literally just putting your phone in your pocket, you know, when you're like doing something uh, just incredible, you know, like, and they did such a great job with it. Yeah. Another great point. These are all uh, these tracks are freely available for use and remix, uh, which is another I think great aspect of them. Have you have you seen any uh, remixing being done of these tracks yet? 
Thank you. Yeah, somebody. So we we definitely want people to download them. We definitely want people to remix them. Uh, one of the things I like about working in government is that everything I do ends up in the public domain. I think that's like the, one of the best things ever. So super excited that anybody could take this music and turn it into whatever they want. So please do that if you're listening. Uh, and then, yeah, somebody did a what they described it as a ska punk remix of Protecting <laughs> Noggin. And it, it's actually really good. It's on SoundCloud. Uh, we shared it um, from our Twitter account and I think also on Instagram. I'll send you a link to it. Uh, so you can throw it in the story too but yeah they did an awesome job <laughs> so it's so good and i i talked to them a little bit and they were like listen these they were like the track and the lyrics are so good like you could do anything with this song and it would sound amazing and i was like well yeah we're we're really glad you did this because we never imagined doing ska punk anything with <laughs> but as someone who grew up listening to that music myself i was like wow what a cool reimagining it was it was great yeah um and there are a couple songs on the album that are in spanish why was this important for you all to make Spanish language music on, on this album? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we know that uh, especially young Americans and again, thinking of the the demographic we were trying to reach here, 13 to 24, you know, uh, Gen Z and younger. I mean, th these are the most diverse. It's the most diverse group of Americans ever. Right. Uh, ever. Um, so making sure that we were representing, you know, as many cultures as possible was super, super important to us. And then our data does show disparities for, you know, uh, certain groups. So for Hispanic Americans, you know, home fires are a priority, you know, um, and there's various reasons for that, you know, multi-generational uh, families, you know, um, cooking practices, like the, the list of, you know, what's going on behind the scenes there, like it's extensive. Um, but yeah, we we thought it'd be super important to, to for as many subjects as we could, you know, create multi-language versions. Um, protecting Noggin, you know, kind of when that song came in and we heard how great it was, we were like, well, we definitely want this one in Spanish too. Um, you know, and even though that's pushing the budget pretty pretty far on that one. Uh, but for, yeah, for Sepon uh, Caliente, you know, we knew that we wanted the fire song to be reggaeton. We knew we wanted it to be all Spanish lyrics. Um, and again, another great song. Like that producer did such a phenomenal job, you know, and that one, that's a good example of one of the songs that was a little bit more conceptual, you know, not necessarily packed full of like safety tips. Um, but kind of, you know, communicates the importance of paying attention to fire safety. And, you know, we've already ended up using it in a whole bunch of fun ways. Um, you know, it was just National Fire Prevention Week this past week, um, you know, and we were sharing it then. So, yeah, one of those songs that's just going to have a long life in, in regards to like what we're doing around here, which is awesome. <laughs> So we're kind of going song by song here, which is great. Uh, the The final song on the album is Beats to Relax, Be Safe To, which is, again, an allusion to a popular meme, you know, the, the chill lo-fi beats to study to. So once again, you know, I commend you on your, your knowledge of, of broader internet meme culture. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I love pop culture. Like just as a, as a regular person outside of work, you know, like I, I love TV. I love movies. I love music. Um, you know, I listen to lo-fi stuff all the time. Uh, it's, it's great. Like, you know, and again, if you're making a project for, you know, uh, younger people, like you have to make it in a, in formats that they appreciate and they know, and like, kids love lo-fi, you know? So, so again, I think around here, people are like, well, what even is that genre? And I, and it, it was what, it was one of those moments where I'd be like, listen, you're just going to have to trust us because like, I, I mean, I could let you listen to it. 
but you're not going to necessarily get like why it's popular, <laughs> you know, but, but it is. And, and, you know, again, I think the idea we had there of using like an old PSA for the, the lyrics uh, of it, you know, that was a really fun way to kind of bring our history into the, you know, forefront into the modern day. Um, and that producer, again, like, you know, I asked them, I said, listen, we want this to be a blend. We want it to be lo-fi and then, you know, fade into something super cinematic to kind of, you know, end the album on a real high note and like something totally unexpected. Um, you know, and it was, again, it was one of those moments where they were like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to match those two genres together? But they did a beautiful job. It's it's my favorite song on the album, uh, for sure, because I just think it's so fun. Yeah, so working with all of these producers and musicians to to make this album, what was their response when, you know, I don't know what the procurement process was necessarily for this album, but no, yeah. yeah. So you know, so we worked with Finn Partners, who's our uh, at this point they're our longtime uh, PR agency of record. Um, they have a guy over there. His name's Joe Calderon. Shout out Joe Calderon. He he kind of acted as our project lead. Uh, slash lead producer on the agent on the PR agency side. And, you know, he did a phenomenal job identifying artists who could do this, you know, and that was, that was always my, my thing, you know, in conversations with him and the Finn team was, you know, we wanted the music to be the priority. We wanted the songs to be great. Like we, you know, in the beginning, we had a lot of different ideas. We were like, you know, could there be a concert at the end of this project? Like, you know, but that we like, we, we had a whole bunch of stuff that we were like, it'd be cool to do that. But at the end of the day, we were like, nope, let's put the budget hundred percent into the music. If we make great music, the rest will come easier if we ever get a chance to do it. Um, and Joe went about basically finding great people to put this together. Um, you know, he himself had worked in the music industry a little bit. So he had some existing contacts, some people he leveraged that he knew, uh, some other folks that he, I think he identified, um, you know, just because they're awesome, I, I assume. Uh, but yeah, but basically, so he was working day to day with them. And then our role at CPSC was kind of, you know, provide the background information, send over the safety tips, send over some meme examples. And then as the tracks came in, you know, send over some notes. So yeah, there are some emails where it's me getting very detailed about, you know, like, like, I think there's a, I think I sent one of the emails I sent to the, you know, Joe who related to the protected dog and producer was like, you know, could we experiment with like putting in a bike, the ding of a bike <laughs> bell, you know, um, is short. I'm sure the producers, I don't know how they felt reading long emails from me, you know, but otherwise like they, they just did a great job. You know, I, I think, one of the things Joe did really well was kind of get them on board with what who we are and what we do here. Um, I think once we got over that hump, like that things kind of clicked for everybody much easier. Um, and then honestly, like that, the first producer turning in Protecting Noggin there, I think that helped everyone else understand like, oh, okay, here's what we're going for sort of thing. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's really like any creative project in a lot of ways. It's like, you know, multiple influences, 
um everyone doing a great job and like you know if the stars all align like you end up with something awesome and i i feel like really that's what happened to us here um you know it's just a lot of really great people came together and everyone did their best work you know and here's what we have you know i, I mean i keep saying to people like this is an all-timer of the genre of, of, of safety music you of know government psas yeah of government psa music yeah and the album is called volume one so should we expect uh future cpsc albums you know that that was our bet on the future uh calling it volume one i would love for us to do a volume two uh i think it'd be super fun to do a country slash bluegrass slash you know uh ska punk slash like so, something along those lines you know um but it, again it, this was this was funded through the american rescue plan you know um the the arpa funding is you know winding down uh, so I don't, I don't know if we'll get a chance to do a second one, but I'm, I'm hopeful that somewhere along the line, you know, who knows, maybe 50 years from now, uh, the person sitting in my role will find a way. So, yeah. Well, now that this, this will hopefully exist in perpetuity as, you know, evidence of, yeah. of what was done, of the work that was done. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of been one of the fun things about, uh, our, the social media we've, we've done over here. Um, seeing other government agencies use it as something to walk into their boss's office and say, Hey, look what these guys are doing. Like, you know, we could do the same or we could do something similar, but a little bit better, you know, and that's fine. I, when I talk to other government, social media people or digital media people, I say all the time, listen, use us as an example, positive or negative, however you have to, to get the job done, you know, cause we're all, <laughs> it's funny. We're, we're all in the same boat, you know, where it's like, we, you're handed some largely impossible task, you know, uh, you may or may not have th- enough resources to do it. You know, um, so whatever you got to say, you know, walk into your boss's office and whatever you got to say to help you out, like I'm, I'm here for you. Um, you know, it was fun to get, there's an email listserv of government social media professionals. It was super fun after the album came out to hear from people saying, Hey, this is great. We want to try something similar. You know, um, th- that type of stuff, it always feels good to me because it feels like you're contributing in a way, you, you know, much bigger than even achieving your initial mission, which is always the important thing and the most important thing. Um, but yeah, but that's been fun to see over the years, you know, now a lot of government agencies have a more fun social media presence, which is awesome. Yeah. A collection of the CPSC memes are now in, are digitized in the Library of Congress now, uh, which I'll, I'll link to for the audience. There's going to be a lot of links because I, I do want you all to go experience some of the visual media here from this interview. Um, but how did you curate what memes you wanted to include in, in this collection? Yeah, I, it's, it's so funny you ask about that. It, it's been on my mind. So it's supposed to be all of them. Ah, It's supposed to be all of them. I am years behind on getting <laughs> getting the memes to the Library of Congress because the way we've been doing it is I, I literally sit down with a spreadsheet and for every single one, I enter the metadata. And part of that metadata is like a description of how I created the meme. So it's actually a time-consuming process. And and since the pandemic, I just have not I have not had the time to turn my attention to it. So right now, if you go there now, what you'll see is a collection of our earliest stuff. I mean, stuff from yeah, right now it's like stuff from 2016 to 2017, I think, or maybe 2018. But I'm supposed to get them everything else, and I do, and I will do that. I do intend to do that. If anyone from the Library of Congress is listening to this, <laughs> I haven't forgot. I haven't forgotten you guys. It's just been busy. It's just, you know, and again, the CPSC social media team, for, for those who don't know, I mean, it, it was just me for, for about six years, uh, you know, finally six months ago, 
we hired a second person, uh, Melissa, who's been phenomenal and is who, who's translating our social graphics into Spanish. So now if you go to uh, our Instagram profile, you'll actually see all of our newest graphics in English and Spanish published together, which is amazing. Um, you know, But before that, it was just me doing not just social media, but also managing the content on our website. I also am now, I'm still, and I became the lead on our PR agency contract. So I write that contract every year. I manage all of our digital advertising, you know, so it's, it's a very busy role. Um, and the Library of Congress, you know, thing is, it's incredible and amazing and like a dream come true. Uh, you know, it, it haunts me that it's kind of fallen to like the bottom of my priority list. But at the same time, it's like, you know, either I'm writing descriptions of memes or I'm making sure we can, you know, execute $300,000 projects and more next year. You know, so it's, it's, it's a tough <laughs> stuff to say on top of it. Thank you for asking about it though. It's still supposed to be happening. They should all be in there eventually. One of these yeah. days. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I feel like this maybe the social media age does present a new uh, challenge for government record digitization because I assume there's, there is a mandate for all of this stuff to get digitized eventually and, and recorded. And it's a lot of stuff. Exactly. If you have the money, there are great contractors out there now who automatically scan everything you put out and save it for you. Uh, if you don't have the money, you know, you're in our situation where it's a lot of manual, manual recording. Yeah. Yeah. Like the last time I had to share, you know, someone FOIA requested our Twitter DMs and I had to, I had to screenshot, you know, I, I think it was like over a decade's worth of DMs from Twitter. It was just a nightmare and put it into a PDF, you know, not that responding, responding to FOIA is a nightmare. Everyone submit your FOIAs if you want, but yeah, it, it is, it is a challenge hundred percent. All right. Well, my final question for you, Joe, and we've talked about this a little bit, but if you're in government communications, you want the public to pay attention to you a little bit more through all of the informational noise that we receive on a daily basis. What are your recommendations? My, my first recommendation is definitely, you know, don't treat any of your existing work as precious or sacred. Uh, be prepared to throw everything out if you have to, you know, and then my next biggest tip is do what works, you know, and, and that's honestly, especially on a small team, especially if you're underfunded, you know, or, or your funding resources aren't at the level that, you know, you see other people have. Um, if you do what works, if you follow the data, you're going to be moving in the right direction. And and uh, honestly, you know, the, the creativity aside, that that is all I've done here at CPSC is try to keep doing what works, um, you know, and, and that's what's kind of moved the needle for us, you know, uh, making fun characters, you know, having fun headlines, doing unconventional messaging. It's all great. And, and the public likes it. And, you know, we see people learning, which is the most important thing. We keep doing it because it keeps working. And I, I say this all the time, the day this stops working, we will just do something else. You know, that's, that's advertising, that's marketing, you know, you do what works until it doesn't, and then you do something different. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of times what I see people do is, you know, they, they fall in love with the work they're producing. And I think, you know, that piece of like, well, is it actually performing well kind of falls to the waysides, you know, and, and again, that's, that's human nature, right? It's human nature to just kind of, you know, like to do the same thing over and over again and not question, you know, whether or not it's being effective, but, but the most important thing in government is to remain effective. So you constantly have to be revisiting. You constantly have to be looking at your data and saying, you know, could we be trying something different? That's a little bit better. Um, and I think that'll put you on a positive path no matter what. Great advice. Joe Galbo is the social media specialist at the Consumer Product Safety Commission and uh, meme creator extraordinaire. Joe, thank you so much for joining me. Any final thoughts? Thank you, Colin. No, this was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I guess everybody go download. We're safety now, haven't we? 
Uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, please listen to it, share it with your friends, do a remix, uh, whatever you want. It's yours now, you know, so it's out there for you. If you have not subscribed for recall emails, that's a very, very important thing. You can head to our website right on our homepage uh, and follow us on social media, wherever we may be in the future. You know, right now we're on all the big ones, uh, but new ones pop up every day these days. So who knows where we'll be next, but make sure you find us there because we'll be publishing fun stuff. Protect your neck and your noggin when you're in the streets. Take caution. Protect your neck and your noggin when you're in the streets. Take caution. Protect your neck and your noggin. And that's a wrap on The Buzz with Act Ayak. Join us next week for more hot topics and top issues affecting the federal technology market. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on Twitter at ActIAC. More information about today's show can be found in the episode notes. For more insights, visit www.actiac.org. Thanks for listening.